think we'll start. Um, welcome, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us here at this event titled Art and Activism in Iraqi Kurdistan, Feminist Fault Lines, Body Politics and the Struggle for Space. My name is Dr. Polly Withers. I'm a Levy Hume Early Career Fellow at the LSE Middle East Center. Um, it is my great pleasure to be chairing this event tonight, which is very close to my own work on um, art, culture and gender in Palestine. So it's a huge treat for me to be chairing, so thank you. Um, so just some uh, housekeeping before we begin. The event will last for roughly an hour. Um, our speakers will talk for around 40, 45 minutes, following which we'll go to a Q&A. Um, I will remind everyone before the Q&A, but if you're asking questions, please could you introduce yourself briefly at the beginning of your question and try to keep your question brief. I will remind you of this again at the Q&A. Um, the event is going to be recorded and someone will be taking photos throughout just to make everyone aware of that. Um, the paper is available to download. There were also some, phys there's some physical copies there, um, but it's also available to download in English and Sarani on um, our website. So please do have a look online if you haven't already got a paper copy. Uh, that is it from me. So I will welcome the speakers. Um, our first speaker, Isabel Kayser, is a visiting fellow at the LSE Middle East Centre. Uh, sorry, I just need to fold this over. And a postdoctoral fellow at the Institute of Social Anthropology at the University of Bern. She gained her PhD at SOAS, University of London, and is the author of The Kurdish Women's Freedom Movement, Gender, Body Politics, and Militant Femininities, which was published by Cambridge University Press. Huzan um, Mahmoud is a Kurdish who's sitting next to Isabel. Um, is a Kurdish feminist writer, public lecturer, activist, and the editor of Kurdish Women's Stories, which was published by Buto Press 2021. Um, for over 25 years, she has been an advocate for women's rights in Iraq and Iraqi Kurdistan. She holds an MA in gender studies from SOAS. Um, so why? <laughs> and is the co-founder of the Culture Project, a platform dedicated to raising awareness about feminism, art, and gender in both Kurdistan and the diaspora. And finally, Mushka, I'm so sorry, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your surname. Kuchukulas is a teaching fellow at SOAS and a research associate at Global Partners Governance, uh, GBGPG. She's currently working on her book manuscript entitled Governing Iraqi Kurdistan, Self-Rule, Political Order and the International. Her research interests include humanitarianism, development, neoliberalism, sovereignty and political imaginaries beyond the state. Um, so please join me in welcoming our speakers to this event. Do I need a mic or can you hear me okay? Can I project? Can you use the mic for the recording? Oh, okay. Just a bit. It's a bit like I'm in your Hello, and thank you everyone for being here and for spending your Thursday evening or the beginning of the Thursday evening with us. Uh, it's a great pleasure to share with you tonight this report that I'm quite proud of because I, yeah, a lot of love and labor went into it and I'm um, so happy to share this with you tonight and to tell you a little bit about the process that went into it and some of our deliberations and findings as well. So before I do, we do, so I would like to take a moment to say a round of thank yous because this would not have been possible without the wonderful team that we had and have here at the Middle East Center. First of all, uh, Kendall, of course, and then Nadine and Jack and um, Bob and Michael. Uh, thank you for coming and thank you for all the support uh, along the way. And then, of course, I also want to thank our research team. So, Hosan, the co PI, um, uh, Dr. Bayar Sufin at the University of Kurdistan Heller, and Media Kudur, our research assistant. Um, yeah, so um, we want to do tonight more of uh, like a conversation between us and between Hosan and I. And um, I want to begin by just telling you a little bit about how this idea or how this project came about. When I became a visiting fellow here at the Middle East Center, I was presented with the opportunity to apply for the academic collaboration with Arab universities program. And very quickly called up Hosan, who's been a longtime friend and colleague, who's an expert in all things art, gender, and feminism in the KRI, or the Kurdish region of Iraq. Um, and I propose that we do something together, something that's not about political parties, something that's not 
directly about war and conflict and about armed resistance, which is something I have previously worked on. But really looking at some of the more ongoing or developing grassroots develop, um, developments in the region. And I think it was then your idea to focus on this new generation of artists and their specific knowledge production. So over to you, Rosanne, to just tell you as quickly about why we did this. Yeah, thank you very much, Isabel. Thank you, everyone in the team. It was an absolute pleasure working with you, but also with the team. And on this particular topic, which is very close to my heart, because um, lately, I mean, from 2014 onwards, I really realized and kind of witnessed a, a, a huge rise in um, young um, artists using different spaces and outlets available to them to uh, produce artwork and literary work as well around body, uh, gender, feminism, um, gender-based violence, identity, national, like lots of other, or social conservatism, religious conservatism, and so on and so forth. And then in 2016, after I myself became extremely disillusioned with politics, I co-founded Culture Project, which is a um, transnational platform uh, linking Kurdistan with its diaspora. And from there, we focused on art, <coughs> literature, poetry, philosophy, photography, but from a gendered and feminist perspective. So my network became wider and larger, and I kind of found out a lot about um, people, men, women, or those like from other genders who are really producing art, producing literature, but uh, like about topics that has never been like that before. So I think this has been a very exciting times for cultural production in Iraqi Kurdistan that I have never seen it before. And in this report, we will take you through some of the themes and points and um, the ways in which these types of art is produced by young people, young generation, their aspirations, as well as their artistic encounters, um, and that we managed to grasp some of it. I think it's much more richer and wider and, and bigger, but it would have been out of the scope of our paper. So I think we brought the best out of this uh, journey together with Isabel. You have one and we have. <laughs> okay. um, so, my name is Rujki Kitelesh, and I will talk about um, how I got linked to this, this project. So, first of all, I would like to say and um, that this is a very insightful um, paper. If you haven't read it, please read it. Um, and I would like to thank the authors, Isabel and Hosan, as well as others who were involved in this project but not here with us today, um, for producing such an important uh, work on such an unexplored aspect of politics in Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, as, as Isabel said, um, most of the popular and scholar discussions about Iraqi Kurdish politics, they focus on um, the national elite, and war, conflict, state building, lack of international recognition, um, and um, or lack of institutions. Uh, so this this paper asks a different question, a question that I was always interested in as well. So that question, so apart from all these discussions around conflict, state building, de facto states, um, what, for, what other forms of uh, political engagement exist in, in Iraqi Kurdistan? Uh, and I think it's a very important question. Um, so, um, and I, uh, I was also interested in that question. Uh, and um, as someone who did her PhD on neoliberalism, international development, humanitarian frameworks, I was interested in what kind of subjectivities all these frameworks promote in the region and what kind of political engagement emerges um, from, from that. Um, so thank you again and congratulations on, on uh, finishing this project with this great report. So I would like to move um, into our discussion session where I'll be, I'll have the privilege of asking some questions before everyone else. And my first question, and either of 
you or both can um, choose to answer the questions depending on how you prefer. So my first question um, is about, I'm trying to find it. <laughs> um, so how do young people produce art um, in the region, especially in the context of, of precarity and neoliberalism? Um, we know that the, the region has a very crowded political space with different actors promoting different forms of citizenship. And I'm wondering about the kind of art that emerges uh, from this crowded landscape. Thank you, Isabel. Okay, well, basically, as you mentioned uh, very well, that it's, it's actually overcrowded, I would say, in terms of ideas, ideologies, allegiances as well to various regional as well as international forces. So I think not only for young people, but for everyone, for feminists as well, it's a very difficult uh, landscape to, to work and to produce and to um, make an impact and influence. I'm not going into the background. I'm sure you're all from Middle East studies and you know a lot about the political, social and historical context of the region. So I would like to go straight into how these young people produce uh, such art or um, cultural productions because there's political parties and they want your allegiance um, directly or indirectly. You have to have some sort of uh, um, loyalties to be able to get your spotlight, to get funding, to get your work recognized. Like sometimes you get people who are blown out of proportion because they have party politics behind them. They have, uh, we call Mas'ul, they have political leaders behind them with their funding because they all want to have this kind of art and culture and feminism and gender facade where they actually say I'm the one or I'm the one. And it's very difficult to compete within such situations and to really find such groups of young people producing art without wanting to be part of this whole dilemma. I think it has been very refreshing in my opinion and some of them touch upon taboo issues uh, or they produce art or they express themselves um, around lots of um, ideas and issues but also you have all this development funding, neoliberal uh, funding really that uh, try to frame young people or, or, or a lot of activism and activities that is going on within Kurdistan that makes it very difficult for new and fresh ideas, independent, and I call these initiatives autonomous initiatives, to exist, to survive, and to uh, put, uh, to have a long-lasting impact. So it's really difficult, but I think there are new uh, beginnings, there are new autonomous initiatives that are on the horizon, and I see a kind of hope in that. Yes, and in that moment that we're at, one sentiment that we often often encountered when we talked with the young activists and artists was that of, there is no space for us. With all the development and all the money that was being poured into Iraqi Kurdistan since 2003, a lot has, of course, happened uh, in terms of um, uh, gender equality, UN uh, Resolution 1325, uh, just also urban development, developments in the cultural sector, but a lot of the young people feel like there's nowhere for them to go. There's no public spaces, really, no galleries, no uh, national museums. Um, and actually, the artist who was so uh, kind to let us use her beautiful painting for the cover just walked in, that's Sonia Bashir. <laughs> and, uh, And I think it was you who told us in your interview that it's one of your great sorrows that there is no sculpture park or national gallery where you can go and ponder and, and be inspired by or... And so there was so much money for development, but it was not poured in the cultural sector. And it is, yeah, and, and public space is of course a contested term and a lot of the great feminists have looked at um, the, the fluid boundaries between private and public. But fact is a lot of the young people don't feel safe uh, in a lot of the public spaces and pushed back into the private sphere. And that we also saw a lot of that reflected in the art that was shown to us. So the sense of suffocation, a sense of being alone and isolated, not only 
I mean, a lot of the art is being produced in the private sphere, um, but there's also nowhere to go for that art because there's hardly any, as I said, uh, galleries or funding. And so, yeah, I think that mix between um, no public space, but also no space for the art is really reflected in some of the images that we're going to show to you in a moment as well. So, um, I mean, especially in recent years, women empowerment has become one of the prevalent themes, especially mm -hmm. among the donors. Um, I mean, you said that there's a very limited public space. There are no galleries and all that. Uh, are there any any art trainings available, um, and are they um, are they accessible um, to young people, or what kind, what segments of society have um, have access to those? I mean, generally speaking, art um, did not have a great status like sciences. For example, in my generation, most families wanted their sons and daughters to be doctors and engineers. You know, and if you if you say I would like to go and study art or literature, or they will they think you are gone mad or something. <laughs> and and I think things haven't really changed dramatically. I mean, Sonia can tell us maybe later on a little bit about that as well. We have interviewed like Shebarani who got really high grades, but when she applied for College of Arts, they told her, are you sure you want to study arts? Because nobody really expects you to study art if you have good grades. I mean. I, I was just thinking, if art is for lazy people, why we have all this great art? They are better than the engineers and the doctors, actually, in Kurdistan. So uh, you have that sentiment, that attitude, but also you have the uh, Fine Art Institute or College of Fine Arts within the universities. They don't have such good resources, facilities that other uh, departments might have, but also uh, academic materials. Um, like um, I, I have always heard about this, like when we um, uh, launched culture, culture project, we did a lot of translations or we wrote a lot of essays about art and culture and literature and gender and feminism. So, so many times the student will read our material mm -hmm. to really try to make sense of things in, in a uh, political context as well. But also there are um, uh, a lot of um, artists, especially um, from the older generation who have studied abroad or who lived abroad and studied here, they went back, they really set up many great um, initiatives for, gra uh, for graphic novels, graphic designs, for literature, for, um, for example, uh, Shirwan Khan, he went back from Germany and he's living and working there and he really brought up a generation of uh, graphic um, like novelists, um, that's the um, example from Ruz Mahmoud's um, work. So there are a lot of uh, initiatives going on. There are a lot of uh, things going on. For example, we have some friends who went back from Vienna and Germany again, that they saved the tobacco factory, which was about to be demolished and to be turned into these luxury homes. But actually they fought to save that place. Now it's a very important hub for artists in Soleimania to produce art, to meet, and to have initiatives. And also it has one of the most biggest uh, art galleries in Iraq now. It's called uh, Avesta, I think. So uh, um, it's called Esta, Esta Gallery. So there's a lot going on in terms of pushing back for space, in terms of pushing back for material, for resources, for funding. And also like you really see this young generation have produced great artwork in my opinion, despite all the difficulties. Yes, we skipped one image that we wanted to show you, which is kind of the hook for the report or why what we use also to say there's so many interesting things happening despite the difficulties to find the space and to find the funding. And uh, we started with the basement exhibition, which was taking place in the Red Prison in Sulemania in 2021, where a lot of artists um, yeah, centered art around uh, issues of body politics. And then these just to illustrate that there's a new generation of illustrators and graphic designers coming forward uh, with um, yeah, centering questions around gender and sex-based violence, which is prevalent. And so um, when you do produce work about Iraqi Kurdistan, you want to go beyond, as you say, these tropes uh, of questions around nationhood, 
but also questions around gender-based violence because it's so you don't want to reproduce that right but it comes up in so many interactions as well in all interviews we did and in so much of the artwork that we saw this is at the core because we spoke to a lot of women um, as well as men um, we also um, yeah encountered a lot of as I said, images of women alone suffering, curled up in darkness. Uh, this was a public installation in Suleimania, uh, uh, um, Tara Abdullah, who collected um, clothing, items of clothing and hung them. Uh, I forgot how many kilometers long, but something like five, five. kilometers long um, to illustrate how central or how, how interwoven really in society's forms of violences are. Um, and these as an example of kind of that suffering, the silence, the isolation, the trauma that is depicted in much of the artwork. And, and when you ask us about the, the education and the pedagogies that are available, I think that has really shifted as well. We just wrote a new um, paper or book chapter where we go further back into the 70s and look at what, what did the women artists do then. And there the focus was very clear towards Baghdad. Everyone went to study in Baghdad because that was the artistic and intellectual hub at the time. Um, and so we look at, we trace these histories to the now and that's really something that we can say as a similarity. Like, but yeah, centering women's suffering and the injustices women experience. But at the time, it was also a time of revolutionary upheaval and revolutionary hope. So the artists of the 70s were at the same time revolutionaries and intellectuals being part of uh, illegal uh, communist parties and Peshmerga forces and so on. Um, but yes, so just to bring, to, to tease out some of these um, themes that are very visible in the art today. So this would be another example of this kind of groping male hands trying to escape from from dark shadows and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean definitely this report in not only in terms of content, but in terms of images from from, um, from the artwork produced by the artist. Um, so um, my next question about about this 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 feeling of being stuck in the region, which I also encountered um, extensively in my conversations with people. Um, I would like to, um, so how does, because if you are feeling stuck, that implies a lack of agency, because you feel like you can't do anything here, and there's no progress. Um, and I'm just wondering how that lack of agency, that the term implies, because it's, um, you focus on that term uh, in the report. How that interacts with this fear of artistic uh, engagements? Um, and I'm, by that, I mean, can we see this political engagement through art as a way to facilitate one's endurance in broader conditions of precarity and confinement and repression or is it rather a way to describe the existing state of affairs and seize agency, or perhaps both? <laughs> I want to say both. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, maybe I, I go back one step uh, and just to say why we came to this sense of stuckedness. So almost everyone we interviewed, we interviewed them because they're doing something really creative, either they have um, some amazing work out there that's visible or they have a new organization or I don't know, somehow some in one way or another caught our attention. Um, and so we interview them because they're trying to do something. But at the end of almost every interview, these people would then tell us, actually, it's so difficult. And how can I get out? And I really want to leave. And so it's always that ambivalence, right, between wanting to change something putting so much effort into it, but also realizing or knowing that there are so many hurdles and there are so many pushbacks, and especially for women. Um, there are so many norms also around how women should be behaving in public. One of the feminists told us, no wonder there's no feminist activism here, because the moment you put up your head, even just with online comments and hate, people would just be pushed back and, 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 and yeah, become fearful of, of what might happen to them. And there are, again, I want to go beyond the trope of gender-based violence, but there are so many 
yeah, also honor-based killings or so-called honor-based killings because women do try and speak up and live a different kind of life. So, yeah, there is this sense of stuckedness. There is this sense of no matter what I do, nothing will change. Um, and so within that, people still do art, of course, but I, I wouldn't see it as like an active, organized way of resistance or an frontal or a like an um well, what's the word like a not um not in a kind of confronting way because uh yeah that's also not possible that political space is not available so it's much more subtle it's much more local it's much it's very much self-funded and transient in the report we give examples of like small cinema clubs where film enthusiasts meet and discuss independent art films there's small book clubs where women are trying to reach other women and getting them to read. Um, there's, as I said, the Cersei exhibition that we use as an example to show what is possible when when people do something by themselves because the party funding, they don't want to rely on party funding. And um, yeah, so yeah, we didn't see any kind of organized resistance that would use art as a means. And you and your work showed us really nicely, right? It's, there is not that movement in Iraqi Kurdistan. There just isn't. Mm -hmm. What is happening are these, you call it micro-politics in your, in your work. And that's like small initiatives that try to change something there and then. Yeah, if you want to answer to this, or do you want to come in? Yeah, just to uh, add to what Isabel already mentioned, it's, um, you know, uh, you have, like, you have such historical, um, problematic history in terms of politics, suppression, division, colonization, and all the intergenerational trauma problems, like, um, but still, um, in my opinion, that stuckedness, it's, it's an okay feeling. It's a way to say that, okay, we are doing so much and we are surrounded by governments and countries who really want to even invade us right now. Right now, we are talking yesterday, Turkey just bombarded Kurdistan again. Like you have Iran who is just threatening to bring its army and to invade Kurdistan as well. So it's fine to feel like you are stuck, like you are isolated, you are uh, kind of um, doing so much, but you might not change much. Because really sometimes it's not about the society as such, but it's about the whole historical and political situation and context that makes our voices slim and small and, and, and heard at times. But I think even despite all of the problems, all of the stuckedness, there is still um, the production of art itself with all the touching on all these important issues. That means there's a hope, there's a voice, there is um, agency as well in itself. And I think sometimes I say, um, being pessimistic is the best way to be optimistic. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I really always see that in Kurdistan and suddenly you might find something come out. And really uh, neoliberalism uh, with all its um, kind of uh, branches of uh, consumerism, luxury living, luxury this, even you have, you have no such a thing as civil society at the moment because everyone has to compete in a nasty way to gain funding both from local uh, government, um, uh, political organizations, but also from all these international donors who are actually affecting the path that if anyone wants to do something concrete and something meaningful, they affect that. They affect it, they divert the, they divert the, um, um, the whole way of thinking. They come up with all these buzzwords of uh, reconstruction, this development, that, and it doesn't really mean anything to so many artists that we have interviewed for our project and so many women that I'm in touch with. But unfortunately, because they are powerful, they have the money, the monopoly of our resources. That's why we feel like we really don't have power. We really don't have the voice and the agency, but it's just a good way of acknowledging it. It's a good way of seeing it and knowing it and identifying it really. So in order to move forward, to kind of say that it's okay to feel like you are fatigued. <laughs> Maybe I can show a few more images too. Uh, so I said in the report, I'm not gonna summarize the report, but we tease out five themes that we see in the art. One was the 
the isolation and the trauma. And then the other one that we see a lot is kind of reclaiming of space, women sitting by themselves and reclaiming time and space, um, often fatigued, <laughs> uh, often in kind of inward focused with themselves, either um, again, Sonia with like a smoking or a glass of wine, just enjoying their alone time or uh, another one we talk about is a kind of reimagining of intimacy, uh, either between friends or couples or also men with each other. Uh, I really love this artist called Harvey Papa, who, who, who problematizes prevailing norms around masculinity in Kurdish society. Um, and then also a kind of reimagination of Kurdish folkloric art, often through um, graphic design or collage art. And then we end on uh, art post-2014 and the way that, ICE, that the attack of ISIS had such a profound impact on Kurdish society. Um, and a lot of the art that we've seen since then, yeah, centering, as we said, questions around um, conservatism, religion, sexuality, body politics, and so on. And Fala um, Ahmed, also a famous artist based in Erbil, she, this, uh, this image there is called a Tespi wants to cover me, so the praying uh, chain, as we know, and so she, in her work, pr problematizes a lot of questions around uh, religious conservatism and the impact. And, and here, you know, when we talk about stuckness, some of it is quite on the nose, like this one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to leave it here and hand over to you. You're right, and that's one of the good things about this report. Um, because, um, as you mentioned, I also talked about micropolitics, and I defined it as, as, um, as a form of ethical action um, focused on doing good whether for humanitarian causes or doing good in the name of the environment or for the well-being of the community. Um, but there are other projects and other actors that are crowding the political space. So, and I was always wondering, and all the discussions are also focused on repression versus protests. And I was like, what is the, the potential for resistance in that. There is definitely a refusal um, and there's definitely agency, but does that amount to resistance? So that was the question that I also grappled with. Um, and um, I know you don't go, you don't want to go back to gender-based violence, but I also want to ask about feminism. In your report you say that there is this feminist fatigue in the region and uh, a lot of people, for different reasons, they oppose the label feminist. And why is it so, to start with? And also, how do you think that impacts young people's lives? On the one hand, they're dealing with the issues of gender. On the other hand, they don't want to be labeled as feminists. So how do they strike the balance? Do you want to start? <laughs> this is a topic that's very close to our heart and that we've discussed a lot. And. Um, so one young feminist activist that I interviewed in Erbil, she said, there's no feminism here. There's just elite women's organizations. And another one said, the 2003 kind of feminism, so the liberal feminism that came with the invasion and the occupation of Iraq, didn't serve us. Its language and its modes of organizing don't represent us. It hasn't really changed anything for us. Um, and then, of course, you also have the more conservative parties or groups that say that see feminism as part of a set of norms that doesn't have any that yeah that doesn't go with the values of Kurdish society so from different angles feminism is having a really tough time and we know this I mean feminist scholars for generations have looked at these tensions um, but what we've seen is that so either people turn away from it like Bala Ahmed she says I don't label myself as a feminist or my art as feminist because I'm already facing so much pushback from more conservative forces if I also call it feminist, I'm kind of done. Um, and others are trying to reclaim the term by spending so much time and labor to peeling away uh, the misconceptions that people have around it. Um, and one um, activist that we also 
uh, quote in our report says we need a different kind of language because the language also doesn't speak to people here. The kind of feminist, liberal feminist, let's be precise, language alienates parts of our community. And so we need to find new languages that, that, that are more suitable for our community. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, so it's, it's also a kind of search to a more indigenous form of equality that we've also seen in other parts of Kurdistan in the shape and form of genealogy, though that didn't, I mean, it's also happening in Iraqi Kurdistan. So maybe you want to yeah, thank you all of that. Well, just to add a little bit to that is um, the problem with the NGOs and the lo like local either women organizations or other types of organization who work around different issues. Uh, what they did not to work on issues in a deep theoretical or at least intellectual basis, but they just every now and then they change the subject according to the funds that they get for a certain amount of time. This year this subject is important, it's trendy. Next year another subject is trendy and the following six months. And so people really, uh, you know, with all these years since 2003, they kind of got into that, that this doesn't represent us, this doesn't change anything in, in our mindset. So that's this way. That's why there's even a backlash against them. Sometimes in our own circle, we call these types of so-called women's activism petrodollar feminism <laughs> because, sorry, because, you know, they get funding from the political parties, but also they get funding from the international uh, donors. And uh, one of the bad things that these international donors are doing, they pick and choose local organizations and they keep on funding, 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 like, and these people who work with these organizations or they, they are head of these organizations, they are millionaires. They have servants at home, uh, trafficked African, Nepalese and Filipino women. <clears throat> they have servants at home. They have big villas and cars and, and all they do is to buy and sell uh, land. And you kind of think, okay, if you work in women's rights, it's okay to have a wage. But this type of lifestyle isn't really feminist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have these types of hypocrisies and paradoxes where the big majority of the people who are affected by these issues do not trust such types of organizing and uh, so-called activism. That's why there's a huge difference between the actual authentic original types of feminism and feminist work that could be seen in the work of these young people and other older generations as well but also the other type of uh, petrol dollar uh, art and feminism and gender and so on and so forth. So I think there's an important thing to make a distinction between types uh, of um, art and gender and feminism that is produced in Kurdistan. And really neoliberalism and these types of liberal feminism really killed the joy even being an activist mm -hmm. um, and it just if you don't get funding you are not recognized if you don't have uh, support and backing of the of these international development agencies you, your work is not acknowledged it's not even so there's almost uh, a, an agreement between these funders and local political parties who to get what mm -hmm. you have several women organizations in Erbil I know by heart who is getting all the funds always the same people and they get highlighted in the local televisions and in Suli or Dohok and like it's it's not a puzzle everyone knows that and I'm not saying a secret information here <laughs> and and that's the situation that's why I am hopeful with these new initiatives with these new autonomous efforts both on individual and little groups level to really kind of put um, a kind of uh, crack on this huge wall that is being really created by such overcrowded politics, as you said. <laughs> Thank you. How much time do they have now? All right. So I have two questions left. Um, one is about this this um, desire for for a new language, um, and I this was one of the most striking things for me in the report. Um, so there's this deep yearning and search for 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 finding that language, whether it's, I don't know if it is an indigenous one or, so where do these young artists look to find that language? What are the inspirations? Um, is the PKK movement effective um, in shaping their ideas or do they look 
back in history? I didn't see the PKK having a huge impact on artistic knowledge production. You have a feminist here and some artists there that are inspired by some of the the teachings and the ideology. Uh, there was recently an exhibition in, in Sully. What was it called? Yeah, be your, being yourself. That was um, as part of the genealogy initiatives. So it it is happening, but at least the people I interviewed were more inspired by a kind of decolonizing effort, kind of peeling away layers of occupation and colonization, and asking who are we really as Yazidis, as Kurds. Um, and then and you see that in some of the work we show in the report. Um, and as I said, the new language is around feminist organizing and feminist activism. And where are they looking to? Maybe Sonia, sorry, we're always <laughs> pointing to Sonia, but I think culturally, do you want to answer? I don't know, maybe more US and EU and on top of the decolonizing efforts. Um, I would say, no, it's not a contradiction because I think art has always been universal and ideologies and ideas and concepts and philosophy. So I think it's not wrong to look up to other people in other countries and to connect and to exchange experiences and ideas and, and you know, to have intellectual debates and endeavors. And I think they are really creative in terms of using different mediums and different ways and all their work is conceptual you don't find any artwork that has no concept behind it because there's this habit of art is for the sake of art you know that type of thing doesn't work in kurdistan everyone has a concept everyone is opinionated everyone um, you interview or you talk to on a daily basis they are very articulate in terms of what they want and how this current political setup doesn't really represent them so they all agree on that. And I think, um, and one thing that I really wanted to touch upon is, is the level of looking inwards as well for answers, your individualism, especially the female ones. I've seen other artwork that students from the College of Fine Art, they worked with things like, you know, period pad, a bra, underwear, things like that to explore their own uh, encounters with this outside world, but their own bodies and sexualities and gender and so on, which I find it really, really interesting to go for answers and to look for answers within yourself. Like, whereas when I was growing up in the uh, 1980s and 90s, there was no such a thing. I mean, you know, exactly. And this work by Diako Hato, and he is a um, graduate of the College of Fine Arts. It's about, um, uh, like, not honor killing, not about female genital cutting. I don't know about that. No, no, the virginity thing, and that they are raising their voice against this thing. So there is, this is a performance that he did um, with the students. So I think there's a lot really going on in terms of expression. That language that we are talking about might not be writing or literary or poetic, but it's artistic and through the concepts and through their own encounters with the outside world, they produce this conceptual um, pieces of work. Yeah. It's course two, so I just want to check in with you. Let's, yeah, yeah I don't want to take away. Okay, so thank you very much to our three speakers for that really um, very, very rich um, conversation. Um, there's a lot of parallels with Palestine, I mean, huge. Um, I liked in particular, and I was very struck in the report, this idea of stuckedness, and Hazan, I liked what you said in your comments um, about the kind of emerging, or potential um, emerging political power in cynicism, rather than um, hopelessness, being hopeless, actually perhaps being a form of political organising outside of um, established political forms of organising in the state or institutions, and I mean, not the state, but in some I mean, um, but yeah, this kind of alternative political culture emerging through this shared collective of cynicism, which is very resonating in Palestine, um, along with many other things. <laughs> Um, anyway, we'll go to Q&A for the last 15 minutes. Um, we do have, yep, um, just to remind you, if you can keep your questions brief and please introduce yourself 
um, at the beginning. Hi, sorry, I missed the beginning, so I don't know if you covered this. Uh, my name is Nazi. I am um, a master's student at SOAS. Uh, my question is, I just wanted, like, when you set out on this research, did you, did you, like, go with activism and art in mind, or was that, like, in the feminist side, or was that something that came from your research, what you found? Does that make sense? <laughs> okay, so if there, is there another, any other questions immediately? Finally, I wanted to ask about, you briefly talked about teaching and how the, the, the people, the artists, didn't like the state of teaching in Pakistan. And I just wanted to ask about that, if they had any ambitions to maybe inspire the next generation of artists and if there's any way for them to achieve that because of the the sort of political links that teachers have in Kunstein in these art universities, and if that's at all possible to reach a level of becoming, you know, an actual teacher. Okay, great. Is there a third question, or shall we? Yeah, please. Hi, um, I'm Fiona from Mosaic. Um, we're actually an NGO. <laughs> an NGO. I'm also an artist as well, <laughs> so in my own right. <laughs> so um, really it is, we're a small NGO, but we really want to know the best way to support these emerging artistic language and artists. Because for us, otherwise it's a waste of time and we don't get USAID funding anyway. But, and you know, I think a bit like you, Ali said about how we move forward, how we see ways practically also of reaching out um, because we do not want to be colonialist in what we do in any way because we've had people living there for many years who we work with, how we best support that artistic practice. Okay, great. Okay, I'll, I'll start with the first one. So yeah, the rationale of the project was that we saw a new form of art emerging or we argue that around 2014 or we, we, we take 2014 as a kind of rupture point um, after which a lot of artists or continue to produce work around gender and sexuality uh, so, want, so we wanted to investigate that kind of new form of art and we also saw that the feminist activism or a lot of the young activists do no longer the old form of uh, feminism doesn't resonate anymore with the younger generation. So we wanted to see whether these kind of these two forms of organizing or trying to change something or yeah, it, whether they come together and if in what way. Uh, yeah, about your question Ali, uh, about the teaching, some of the artists we interviewed actually they are teachers and they are trying to kind of uh, break away from these old forms of I would say dictatorial art <laughs> teaching and stuff like that. So yeah, and uh, for our new chapter with Isabel, we are doing, we did it for a book on Kurdistan. Um, we have interviewed all the generation of artists who are actually teachers and who have taught these new generations as well. Um, so there are a lot of changes happening. And I know some of the teachers who went back from UK and Germany and, and Austria and places like that, who really um, are working hard to change the curriculum, to introduce new material, uh, new academic resources and stuff like that. I mean, historically speaking, before under Saddam's regime, universities were totally unified in terms of, you know, even art was weaponized, you know, to kind of become a propaganda for the government and even all the artistic outlets that Baghdad was a hub for, you had to be careful what you produce, you could have been killed the next day. So many artists and people like that really had to flee, you know, generations of Kurdish artists from before, from 1970s and 80s had to run for their lives because they couldn't really produce art under such dictatorship. So you have this history as well behind where there's a lot to compensate for, there's a lot to do, there's a lot to change, there's a lot to really kind of push forward with these new types of um, ideas and thinkings and, and conceptions, but for this catered for this new generation. So I think it's on the move, it's happening, but it, I think it will just take time, like everything else, unfortunately. <laughs> How to best support the artists? Ah, yeah, I'm sorry. We finally, give the mic to Sonia. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to come in? Come here, Sonia. <laughs> 
Yeah, just to say a few words about you, Fiona. I mean, I really don't have anything against NGOs or getting fun, but <laughs> yeah, just to make it, just to clarify, because really it's about who you fund and what you fund. Yeah, that's, that's what my question has been, and that's what my concern has been. All these millions and, and billions of funding that that pumped into this region could have really changed things for much better, but unfortunately there's a backlash. So these things should be talked about and changed. And I would be happy to speak to you at a later point where we can really direct you to who you can best support and let Sonia speak. <laughs> Okay, she basically is happy to be here and she thanks everyone for their support and for being here. But she says, generally speaking, she doesn't believe that NGOs inside and outside can really uh, help uh, artists uh, in, in, in such a way in Kurdistan, but she prefers for more galleries, for more art spaces, for more activities to be there. So for the art, the artists are there, they have their own work. What they need is the outlets, the galleries, more artistic activities, and more kind of to, to be able to give them the chance and the platform to kind of um, exhibit the work that they have produced. Yeah. Okay, uh, she says like Arbil um, uh, is, is a small place where uh, her and a group of uh, female artists, they get together, they plan and, and they produce work and they exhibit their work and she feels that she, they can really make um, an impact and that she's hopeful for the future and that, you know, um, like, like she could really see and, uh, and feel like they can leave an impact both with their presence online, but also um, in terms of producing art and exhibiting it uh, to the wider public. And she felt supported and she felt like she really had left an impact on her surrounding. Okay, thank Thanks. you, thank um, you, Sonia. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, more, are there any more questions in the audience? Thanks, yeah. Um, and we'll go here and here. Please yeah, introduce yourself. And, um... Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Emily Death, and I had the great privilege of working with Mushka at Global Partners. And Mushka um, worked on a really interesting piece there on women's economic empowerment in Kurdistan. And I was wondering, Mushka, did you see any intersection between the great creativity that there was in uh, women's economic activity on perhaps handicrafts or uh, clothing? and uh, some of the artwork that you've seen here and, and to the authors of the report thank you very much indeed and thank you for organizing too and i was wondering is there any sort of economic uh, side to the artist um to the artistic work that is being produced there and is there any independence that women can gain through that part of the work as well thank you yeah fast thank you very much for this uh, productive uh, so, my question is, uh, you said that there is a stuckness with uh, art and nobody can find the solution for the situation which is, uh, which is not hopeful, as you say, is not kind of. Uh, so, what, uh, what's the reason of it? Is it uh, because the government doesn't fund this uh, art or doesn't support the art or because no government organization know how to help? But the government, I know, as I know, it is under pressure because it is uh, uh, the budget is cut from Baghdad. From uh, they don't support them even the economically. They are not uh, too. I don't know what what is the reason, but uh, is the solution? What is the solution to support this new generation to go on and produce creative forms? Thank you. So one more question before we yeah there please. Uh, hi Henry, um, I was wondering just based on your opinion, I suppose you kind of answered it with the question about the teachers. But what form maybe do you view the kind of feminist art movement taking in the future? How do you think it will evolve maybe in the next fifty years or so? And. Um, I didn't see any, sorry, do you want to tell me? Yes, no. I didn't see any 
art leading to a kind of economic independence. What happens is that if an artist is being picked up by one of the international uh, funders, that person gains <laughs> visibility and the art circulates and that person then might get a visa to go study in Paris or in London. But not all the art that I've seen is self, mostly self-taught and self-funded and for the, the exhibitions that we were most interested in, that was certainly the case. Uh, about your question about uh, the involvement of feminist art in the next 50 years, uh, as Sonia said as well, I'm really hopeful with this new type of ideas and thinkings and um, questioning the entire society's values, norms, uh, religion. I mean, this young generation of artists are very outspoken in their work against Islamism, against social conservatism. And they're really uh, very secular, very, uh, very like feminist, and they have such interesting gender perspective on things that is happening in society. So I would say, uh, I mean, some of them have reading groups. I had the privilege of being um, invited to give a talk to, to their groups. And uh, sometimes before they start the, like Jerzamin exhibition, before they start, they had various online meetings and I was invited to be there to kind of, because of my background in gender studies and so on and culture projects. So I was always in some ways invited to be part of it and like not as an old kind of no old, but to be there, <laughs> you know, to support and to see what we can do in terms of all these discussions, they debate. One thing that I really like is that they debate a lot, they exchange ideas and they reach out to each other. And then, uh, as I said, they really go as far as talk about or produce art about the most individualistic things about them which is really, really unique and interesting and important. I mean, considering their age, what they are doing is, is amazing. And um, I would see a bright future for a new type of feminism. Mm -hmm. And I think the art movement, I would say, I could even say that, is really paving the way for a, for a new type of feminism in Iraqi Kurdistan that is not petrodollar funded, mm -hmm. you know, and that is very, very needed and very vital for the progress of the entire Kurdish society. And one thing that we also touched upon in our report is that unfortunately, hundreds and thousands of women organizations could not really have left any impact on the new generation of artists, especially women, to produce feminist art. Like you had that in America and Britain and other countries where the feminist movement actually influenced writers, poets, thinkers, uh, female philosophers and artists. In, in fact, in Kurdistan, it's the other way around. I would say female poets that we interviewed, artists, story writers, um, you know, all these young generation, both men and women, um, they are really having very unique ideas, very unique to the Kurdish society in terms of opening up, questioning, debating, and critiquing the, the status that they are in. Um, may I just touch upon that? Yeah, yeah Mushka, just uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. because of the time constraint, do you want to say anything? Um, I was just thinking about that project. <laughs> so um, um, it was interesting because I got to interview a lot of entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs, producing art, designing, seriously, uh, you know, like uh, designing traditional Kurdish clothing or jewelry, or they were, you know, they were artists as well. So they, and they were also, you know, they were funded by internet, some international organizations, humanitarian agencies, and, and then they were selling their products, but none of them considered their activities as an economic one. They didn't consider themselves as entrepreneurs. They were telling, no, 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 what we're doing is we're not selling, we're, we're basically, they, you know, it was striking because at the end of that project, I just saw that, you know, international organizations, funders, mm -hmm. had different objectives, but what they did produced different results mm -hmm. because they were like, they were promoting all these norms of self-dependency, self-sufficiency, right? Don't expect from the government, you know, take care of yourself. But in the end, all these entrepreneurs, not only they were defining themselves as social activists, but also, but also they were um, dreaming of big factories and they were dreaming of big states, big welfare states. 
And that was not just the case in Iraqi Kurdistan, but across Iraq. Mm -hmm. So all these neoliberal forms that we get to criticize, but on the ground, they also produce different, there are a lot of contestation, yeah. contestations. So um, yeah, I mean, as I said, entrepreneurs, they were producing art, selling their products, but they didn't consider what they were doing as entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. They were like social activists. Okay, thank you so much. I'm afraid we are out of time. Before um, you leave, I have one last job to do, which is to say that the LSE Middle East Centre um, has a couple of events coming up, um, which we would love it if you attended. Um, we have an event on Tuesday, the 10th of October, which is a student careers panel and welcome reception. Um, so if you're a student at LSE or around studying um, the Middle East, please do come. Um, I think the welcome reception means there's also some drinks, so you know, incentive. Um, we have another event the following week, Thursday, the 19th of October, which is um, one of our visiting senior fellows, Madawi Al Rashid, has a new paper. Um, called A New Diaspora of Saudi Exiles, Challenging Repression from Abroad. So, um, yeah, a couple of events coming up through your diaries. Um, and we'd just like to say again, thank you so much for being here. Aki, thank you.